Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today on the show, we're going to talk a little about pulling your own soil tests. And with the, at this time of year, let me just say, you might right away think, well, I don't need a soil sample right now. It's not fall. It's not early spring before planting. But I want you to think about pre-citrus nitrate tests. That you definitely should be doing in crops that need nitrogen, whether that's wheat or corn or whatever it would be. So we'll talk about that a little bit today and some of the soil sampling you may consider doing this fall. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so Darren, right before we started the show... You were talking to me about an agronomy question that an agronomist had asked you today in conventional beans. I, I want to talk about this because I think it's pretty interesting. Go ahead. All right. So conventional beans in very dry country. And here's the thing when you get a drought, there's just there's some unusual things. So they had put four ounces of valor out in the fall. Yep. And then in the spring, they put Spartan charge i believe one of the spartan products plus metribuzin now i normally wouldn't stack ppos but is that far enough apart brian that you would not expect a big problem nope i would expect a problem okay so i, I was absolutely about that absolutely would not do that but All anyway right. go ahead well anyway so the beans are up but unfortunately they haven't gotten any rain so they were able to plant deep enough to get into moisture so the beans came up but since they haven't got any rain to activate these herbicides, they've got some kochia popping up in conventional soybeans. They've got cockleburr out there, and they've got thistles. Now, of the three, cockleburr, pretty easy to control in conventional beans. First rate's awesome. Pursuit, raptor, they do a great job. Lots of choices there. Thistles, really your only choice is bassagran yep. in soybeans. It's going to be consistent. Now, it's just going to burn top growth. But you have a, you have something that, that can do okay. But the kochia post-emerge, oh, my first thought when I heard what the weed spectrum was is, why didn't you get a pre-down? And the agronomist I was talking to said, well, we did get a pre-down. In fact, we got three different pre's down over time, but we just never got any moisture. And that's just how it goes sometimes. But kochia doesn't seem to care. There's some kochia seed that must have been into the moisture as well that got germinated and came. Okay, let's talk about this just a little bit because... What we are most interested in here is how we do better agronomy, all right? How you get weed control, even in drought scenarios. So I want to talk about exactly what we did on our farm this year. We sprayed early. When you're, when things are dry and it looks dry and everybody's talking dry and the forecasters say, yeah, there's a 70% chance of drought this year, you go, hmm, I'm in a dry area. I don't normally get much rain anyway. I need to move my spraying up. Here's what I mean by that. So instead of the usual where we wait till right around planting time to spray, we go ahead and we spray in March. We spray a month, month and a half early. There are no weeds up in our region until we get to late April. Okay, so we're way ahead. And you go, what? Why would you do it so early? Here's why. Because we need rain. Now... If you're listening today and you're in an area that gets 40 inches of rain or 60 or 80, um, this may seem strange to you, but the area that we're talking about where this question came from with Darren, they get 16 to 18 inches of total annual precip, and that includes the snow, okay? In a dry, well, like on our farm, in the last 12 months, 
or sorry, 11 months, we have had a grand total of nine inches of precip. That's all we've had. Okay, it's not much. So it's very common for us to go a month with no rain. So when you think about that, you go, hmm, if I've got to have rain to activate it, I want to, uh, I want to be out there earlier so I have a better chance. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. The other thing is I absolutely never, ever, ever recommend a farmer plants conventional soybeans without using the three pre's that we talk about. This farmer used two, and that's a problem. So in my opinion, this is what I would do as, as a farmer and an agronomist. Prowl would have been in that tank without question, and it would have been done early. Okay, Now, Prowl can also be out in the fall. He could have put the four ounces of Valor together with three or 3.6 pints of Prowl, depending on the type of Prowl that you buy. I mean, the version of Prowl. But anyway, my point is you got to get another mode of action. That's really going to help. When you start talking post-emergent beans, here's the reason why this is such a big deal, especially in that area in central South Dakota, because they have a lot of kochia. And in terms of kochia, post-emerge in conventional soybeans, you've got cobra and you've got nothing else. And cobra is only about probably 60 or 70% on the kochia, and that's only when it's two to maybe four inches tall. The problem with kochia, it's similar to lamb's quarters in that even a very small plant can have a crazy amount of growing points on it. And you have to kill each and every single growing point. So if I've got a four inch tall kochia plant with 30 growing points on it, and I only kill 29 of those growing points, you know what's going to happen. Another another shoot's going to come out, and that kochia plant lives, still puts on seed, still hurts your yield. It's bad news. All right. So here's another conventional question that came. This is from Steve over in Minnesota, conventional soybeans. He said, I've got a, a grower that I'm working with. He's got Venus mallow in his soybeans that normally his pre-program includes metribuzin, and he just hasn't seen Venus mallow before. Sure. This year, he left out the metribuzin. Oh. Now he's wondering, what can he do post-emerge? And you here's, you here's have to put the three pre's on. I, I agree. You, got <laughs> you can't cut corners in conventional right. crops. You right. just can't. And we well, know this. Well, you can. If you do, you're just going to suffer and yield, and you got to burn, we know burn this the heck from out of your 30 beans. years of experience. You can't right. cut those corners. And you also can't say, well, this year it's dry. This year it's wet. I'm going to make a big change. No, you really can't do it. you got to stick with, with what works over Weed time. Weed control is more important in the dry years than it is the wet years. Okay, so when you got Venus Mallow... Flexstar is okay, but it's got to be really, really small, like an inch or maybe two. Yes. What you want to do is add in some first rate. Yes. First rate plus Flexstar, much better on Venus Mel. Yes. That would be my thing. Now, I know some guys like to use Pursuit or Raptor in conventional soybeans. They just aren't very good on this particular weed. So for me, that's what I'm going to do is the first rate Flexstar mix. That would be the best. Uh, you had a question about Python also. Yeah, Python would have been great pre but you, you right. can't, you're not using that post in soybeans. So, so go with those other two. And if you needed a backup plan, you can use Brian's least favorite Bassagran over the years because it's really fussy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. 
Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Our topic is going to be pulling your own soil samples, but we'll take any agronomic question you have, either by phone, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's our favorite, because then we get to chat about it a little bit. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Uh, i got a number of callers already here, so let's just jump right into the phone lines. Get Josh down in Iowa with some frost damage. Oh, Josh, sorry to hear that you caught uh, caught a little bit of frost. Talk to us about that. Well, I've got um, no-till. This is going to be the first year that we were uh, completely no-till. And um, I planted into um, relatively high residue on one of my fields and yep. um, scouting it over the weekend. I noticed that... Um, uh, one field's got a great big bowl in the middle of it and, uh, on the high ground, um, the corn did okay. Um, it's about the, the field is about V3 and, um, went out there today, looked at it again and everything was pretty well flat on the ground. Sure. Um, so I, I know the growing points toast um at this point it looks like most of the fields toast why 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 do you say Um, the growing point is toast it's below ground have you sliced uh, it down below i did i went out and i dug five or six plants and i was noticing most of it was brown already but i mean Um, inside the plant down below the ground wow yeah that must have been one heck of a frost yeah for most guys that have gotten hit uh in your area and to the north the the corn's going to be fine because the growing point didn't die at v3 that growing point is still usually half an inch below ground so it would have probably had to get down to 24 or 22 in order to kill that growing point but anyway go ahead yeah it's just uh i'm thinking of uh replant considerations um in a no-till situation yep uh how should I approach the fertilizer? Because normally we've in, when we put when we planted this, I put two thirds up front okay. and a third at side dress. Yep. Uh, about 150 units of nitrogen. Okay. Um, it's rotated um, every year, so okay. should I be concerned about um, nitrogen loss, or should I just 
add some no. more at side dress. I'd just add more at side dress. So yeah. I, I would expect that your your corn plants at V3 took 10 pounds, 15 pounds. So, I mean, yeah, you could add a little more at side dress. If you want to throw a little more on now, you sure can. In dry years, we don't have to worry as much about this split applying the nitrogen kind of thing, and especially in heavy soils. But anyway, so I, the, the, the fertilizer part doesn't really scare me. What does scare okay. me is if you have some plants that you think died and didn't die, and it's no-till. If it was conventional till and you're for sure ripping everything up, you're probably going to kill the remaining live plants, then I'm not so concerned. But what I'm worried about is you're going to go back out there, seed 30,000 plants, and all of a sudden you got 45,000 in areas of the field. And then they're at varying heights and varying maturities. And so that that's the concerning part for me. Okay. So by Saturday or so, we should probably have a pretty good idea of... Uh whether or not everything did indeed die or yes from what i've seen everything looks pretty well sure done but you know there's always the possibility that i so we've gotten a lot of these replant questions and i'm glad you brought this up i was uh, gonna try to get to that later in the show already but we've gotten questions from iowa minnesota a little bit in south dakota north dakota lots of replanting questions uh the good news is even planting this late where you're at, it's still possible to get a pretty good yield. I was uh, telling some agronomists over the weekend that just a couple of years ago, we we planted some corn for research purposes on probably 40 acres. And I'm going to say it was like the 11th of June. It was late. And we still got 200 bushel corn. You think about that, 200 bushel corn planted almost the middle of June. It's possible. So that, that's, I guess, the only good thing that I can tell you, Josh, you still have a, a decent chance for some good yield. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. You Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Right, let's head over to Michigan. we got Rick on with us right now with some tillage questions. Rick, how are you doing? Yeah. Hey, hey, guys. It's been a little while. I hope you guys are doing well. Yeah. Hope, hope um, you're doing well, too. Yeah, not can't complain other than for some reason Southwest Michigan we are bone dry too, and it's been that way since spring. But my tillage question to you would be: uh, we haven't done it in fifteen, eighteen years, but I think this fall would you recommend fall or spring? We're thinking fall. We're gonna go back and hook up the old eight eight sixteen plow and the old seven sixteen. Oh no, Rick, you're board. side you're siding with Wait, Brian stop, now. Stop. Let's let's why why are you well, interested well, in that? I Rick? was gonna put we're gonna uh, okay. We wanna we want we're gonna try. We're gonna mow board plow two hundred acres. Okay. Maybe it's better to do it in the spring. We have a lot of lawn, but we have clay worried about it getting hard for just our vegetables and see how we do when we come in the spring and you know, drag it and well, uh, disc, uh, but but why why do you want to do it? What what's our, what's oh, leading you to? We're hoping that mixes our soil better oh. than the chisel plowing. And it will, it will. Can uh, we find some new soil that way? <laughs> well, that could be good or bad. Keep in mind, Rick, because you're also going to why? put put some of your fertilizer down deeper. You can also pull some subsoil up that you may not necessarily want up, and then there's more loss of moisture and more loss of soil organic matter. So there are downsides to it too. But a lot of times, if it's just a once mm. in five years, once in ten year kind of deal, even like for us on our farm, we're talking about hey, maybe once in twenty years. I don't know. But every once in a while, I don't have any issue with it. I see. 
And then uh, you made a very good point before I get off about in the 70s, that's all we planted. We didn't plant till June, and we consistently yes. unirrigated, averaged 150, 160 bushel on that old clay ground where we plant sure. corn, and we waited till we waited till June. It was all right. Yep. Yeah. I, now, yeah. I, I mean, it's not my preference. We know we can get a little bit higher yield by planting earlier. But my point is, yeah, right. a lot of times we panic, all of us do, when we get hail or frost or whatever, and it's like, okay, it's not mm-hmm. the end of the world. We got a good corn price, and even if you get 80% of your corn yield, you're still going to turn That's out right. okay most likely this year. Hey, Rick, been great talking to you. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. You bet. Thank you, guys. All right, let's head over to eastern Colorado. Got Kevin on with us right now talking a little edible beans. Kevin, thanks for calling in. Hey, yeah, thank you, guys. Um We've got a couple circles of edibles, one pinto bean, circle one, small reds. Which of the, or well, all of the three pre's work on edible beans or which ones won't? I guess I'm, I'm needing a herbicide program. Our main problems are palmer amaranth, number one, and then kosher, number two. Yeah, so... When we start talking dry beans, edible beans, it's basically like we're talking conventional soybeans in that you don't have these uh, these other options where biotech traits have entered in. So post-emerge, can't go spraying Roundup, Dicamba, or 2,4-D. So you're kind of stuck. So what we talk about with guys most of the time is using Sonalan or Prowl Down as well as Spartan. So the metribuzin is the problem. You won't be able to use metribuzin in your dry beans. But for most of the different types, and I'm not sure on reds, I don't know. Pintos are much more popular in our area. Pintos and navies probably. But anyway, the the point is, um, if you look on the labels for spot. Uh, sorry, for Spartan or Spartan Charge, or even there's Spartan Elite, too, that you could use. It's got some uh, uh, some uh, metallochlor in there. Anyway, for any of those, uh, they should be labeled for your crop. Plus, if you wanted to do a Sonalan or Prowl or Trifluralin, you certainly could. So you can get multiple modes of action there. It's just you won't be able to use that metribuzin. Post-emerge, when we start talking dry beans, and again, it it depends on specifically what type of edible. Generally speaking, it's reflex or uh, one of the generics that we talk about, as well as like Bassagran um, and Raptor. So those are probably the three most popular post-emerge products. But the trouble is, as soon and, as you said pre-mixes. Palmer, yeah, Palmer and Kosha, it's like, oh, <laughs> you got the two toughest yeah. weeds there. So that really stinks, and you want to have really good control coming out of your pre. But fortunately, uh, you know, the yellows and Spartan, which is the same thing as we use authority in soybeans, but Spartan and, and the yellows are both good, and then the FOMA post-emerge uh, can certainly help as well. All right. Well, thank you, guys. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. Good. All right. Bye-bye. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions and talking a little about soil sampling right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. 
Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to Roundup Ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Man, we've had a lot of herbicide and weed control questions so far. That's awesome. Keep them coming. If you've got an agronomic question on your farm, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love the chance to help out if we can. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head up to Manitoba. We've got Herb on with us right now to talk a little soil sampling. Herb, how are you doing? We're doing fine, actually. Hey, first of all, how are the crops looking up in your way, and what's the what's the rainfall situation there? Well, we haven't had a lot of rain, but uh, there's soil moisture, and the crops will be able to hang on for a little while in the moisture we've got. We will need more rain, but at this point, there is yield potential is good. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's it's varying levels of dry with so many folks that we're talking to this year. So I'm always curious what it's like uh, for each person that we're talking to. So. What is your soil sample program like? We're talking about that as our main topic today. Are you a fall soil sampler? Do you do stuff in the spring or during the growing season? What works best for you? Uh, typically, we would do it in the fall. I made a couple notes here. Basically, 
uh, our local fertilizer dealer used to do composite soil sampling for us. After he challenged us to do some grid sampling, we gave up on composite sampling basically completely. It's, we feel that composite sampling is a basically a waste of time. And uh, we do either full or partial grid samples. Brian's giving me a hard time. I'm over here making noise. He's like, come on, man, knock it off. I was trying to get my pen. I was writing down a few things that you were saying there. Oh, no, I- actually, I was uh, uh, giving Darren the thumbs up like, hey, that's great on your part, Herb. We're glad to hear you're, uh, you're doing more sampling that is specific to parts of the field as opposed to just one sample across the field. Yeah, I agree with you, Herb. It's it's much more useful that way. So, okay, what are what are some of the things that you've been alerted to then by by doing these smaller smaller grid sampling type uh, that smaller grid sampling approach, I should say. Well, compared to the composite sampling, the the range is so variable that, like I say, we've given up on the we've given up on the the composite sampling. One of the challenges we we have is we've tried to do some, or we did do some variable rate. But the U.S. soil lab that we use, they seem to, I mean, we've got 5 6% organic matter out here, and they seem to make more of an allowance for the nitrogen breakdown in that organic matter than we got. So we we need a higher base level for nitrogen. But otherwise, it's the bottom line is it's got potential. There's not a lot, there's actually not a lot of it being done up here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how it gets started. And I know a lot of times we'll talk about just any different concept or new concept and, and growers will say, well, there aren't many guys in our area doing this so far. And we're like, great, then you can set the pace. <laughs> you could be the guy they're trying to keep up to. And the, ba- the bad thing is you got to learn some lessons along the way. So we always try to start things on a relatively small scale first and figure it out. And we pick a field out. And just like you, we found a lot more variability than we thought. So that, that at least alerts you to that. I, we saw a lot of pH variability too. What do you see with that? In your area, is pH a little more consistent? Well, our pH is high. I know we did some grid sampling, and we were surprised uh, that, okay, what was the deal there? They were supposed to put down some potassium. We were trying to do this uh, soil balancing thing. That, that There's a couple things here. One of them is that like the cost is a challenge to do grid sampling, and the last couple of years it's been so dry, we stick our probe in the ground, we, we just can't get a proper sample, so we pretty much we're going to wait now until we have some more moisture. And there's another thing. I listened to Neil Kinsey's presentation that you put on, and thank you. That was an effort on your part. There's lots to learn, and one of the big problems is is that his ideas just aren't very well received out here uh, at all. And to try and send samples out there and and do some soil, you know, follow according to his recommendations would be quite costly so we haven't done it yet but i know i was talking to one of the neighbors and he has been he's been considering it he actually sent samples down to kinsey interesting so okay you said it just hasn't been received from like universities or or just farmers in general think it's going to be too costly uh well universities uh that's a uh, one of the large fertilizer manufacturers they talked to one of the agronomists there and yeah, the, the university level, uh, you and the uh, say the local agronomist level here, you basically it's they would just tend to consider a lot of that as a bunch of hogwash, and I'm not I'm not prepared to write it off, but we haven't gone out and sent in sent in those samples and then 
followed his recommendations either. So I can't I can't say one one way or the other that it's either good or bad. Yeah, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out here, Herb. Uh, we, our next guest is actually works with Neil, and uh, so maybe just hang on and and uh, catch what he has to say. I'll let him respond to a little bit of this. Uh, Herb, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Glad to hear you're doing the grid sampling too. I think that's that's really cool to to be able to see that kind of variability. Uh, and we've got I'm gonna jump over here. We've got Ben Ice with us. He works with Neil Kinsey. He works up in uh, the Minnesota area. Ben, thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing? So. Good, good. I know you get a lot of the uh, the same kind of concerns like Herb was was sharing. He said, "Man, it's great information uh, that Neil and your whole group share, and obviously you get a lot of experience working all around the world and and showing how this can work in different soils." But certainly, you're right. The the or Herb's right. The prevailing thought in in many circles is, "Well, we aren't going to try to balance everything. Just let's focus on N, P, and K, and maybe you don't need quite as many soil samples." So it is a little different concept what you're doing yeah it is i mean the biggest thing i look at is um <clears throat> it's all about looking about each grower's goals i mean you're looking at you know what what are the goals are we looking at yield are we dealing with drainage issues like you guys have taught so much about with tiling and things like that um what what guys want and what their goals are because you're going to get a recommendation from the lab or from me but it's also got to match what your goals and what your economics are you know you had a gentleman on a little while ago that talked about, you know, having kosha and um, those kind of problems. Well, in my world, for the orga- for the organic guys, which is, we're not talking to those guys, but we deal with with kosha and calcium all the time. So, yeah, there there are they, definitely they uh, follow hand in hand like perfectly. Yeah, so. I love where you started with this. You have to look at each farm individually and, hey, what are your goals? What are your assets and so forth? Well, uh, Herb mentioned that it can be expensive trying to fix everything all in one shot, but I've, I really haven't ever heard Neil or you ever mention, well, let's do it. Uh, Brian sometimes will say, I just want to do it all at once. Well, that's fine <laughs> if Brian picks up a small field and we have a big farm that that we've already got straight, so we just have one little yeah. field that we got to do. But but I can see like I don't know how many acres herb farms. And this is a great example. Let's just say farms a thousand acres, and you got some big challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a lot of money to spend all at once. But but I, I like how you go at it, just prioritizing things and looking at what your return on investment is going to be. Yeah, because it really it really comes down to what are we growing? Are we growing corn, beans, small grains, like the edibles? Every one of those crops, like you guys have with your nutrient removal apps. You know what are our priorities? You know what do we, what do we need to feed the crop first, and then what else can we start amending? Where we're not only feeding a crop, but we're amending and building that soil to increase organic matter, hold more nutrients, water, you know, air transfer, all that kind of stuff. I mean, look at this drought right now. Zinc is huge. I mean, guys with good potassium and zinc, they're going to get away with a lot more than the guys that don't have it this year, big time. So. Yeah, you're you're right about that. Hey, one one question too along those lines. Herb mentioned just it's hard to pull soil samples in a drought when the ground is really dry and hard. What do you do in those situations? Do you just wait and prioritize those fields later, wait for a rain, or or do you just go ahead and pull them as you're doing it? Well, the biggest thing you run up to against is we've had this now for it started last fall. I had some of my growers and my regulars that I really told them, I said, I don't want to test. They're like, well, Ben, we're on our schedule, you know, anywhere from one to three years, depending on the grower and the goals. And uh, we, we pulled about seven or eight samples for them. We had to K-displace every single one of those. 
and that was an extra $32 on top of the regular soil test. So we waited till spring on his farm and did it um, and got good rain and we still had some left. But what happens if you've had prolonged drought, your the chemistry-wise, things just don't come out quite right on your exchanges and your potassiums and your calciums will look wrong. And so I, I have guys hold off all the time. Yeah, um, I got people holding off right now, hold, waiting for rain. When it, when it comes, we'll pull them again. But I just, yeah. Well, you mentioned, too, uh, running a potassium displacement test just because the results can get skewed in, in dry weather. To speak with Ben Ice here, who works with Neil Kinsey. Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Talking about soil sampling and taking your agronomic questions here on Ag PhD Radio. Today, our phone lines are open at 
844-442-4743. That's 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Man, we've been getting a bunch of emails in today, too, that we want to get to a little bit later in the show. But we've got Doug on down in Iowa right now to talk a little soil sampling with us. Doug, how are you doing? Uh, pretty good today. So how how was the growing season shaping up for your farm? Well, you know, uh, I think we had one of the earliest planting seasons ever. And uh, then it turned off wet and uh, wet and cold. And uh, now it's hot and cold. We've got heater in the morning and air, air conditioner in the afternoon. <laughs> we thought that only happened in South Dakota. So I'm glad that I'm glad that kind of weather. We, we just figure you have to wear shorts and a sweatshirt. That's just summer weather in South Dakota. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> okay, talk to me about your cattle, too, this year. How, how are things going with the cattle, and, and what what are you thinking, I guess, for, for this growing season? How's that shaping up? Well, you know, the grass was a little slow uh, to begin with, and uh, we uh, uh, kind of changed our fertilizer program a little bit, put a little more nitrogen on than we usually do, because it was looking like it was going to be really dry, and I thought, well, we need to take advantage of it moisture uh early on anyway and uh whatever happens after that i guess we'll have to deal with but uh and so the the grass is growing pretty good now and uh uh so i guess that was the thing to do i, I guess we'll find out later uh, uh what we need what we need to do for the rest of the season but uh tried to do everything at the beginning anyway right yeah, exactly right. You, just like cattle, you want to get a good start. Otherwise, if you don't, it's really hard to play catch up. How about in alfalfa? Did that get a slow start for you too? Um, it came through the winter real good. Uh, we actually fertilized it last fall, which I usually wait till early spring. But um, I, I guess that was kind of lucky because the fertilizer prices went up, so that was a good thing to do. And I, that was accidental. And uh, uh, but it looks really good, and uh, hay's starting to come down in this area. So it, I think it, it looks like there's about five days here anyway that look good to hay. So time to be mowing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're right about that fertilizer that we kind of lucked out that way too, that last fall we were pretty yeah. aggressive. And I know it was hard writing those checks, but when you look at what it would have cost if we would have done it this spring, it looks like a really, really good move. Uh, you mentioned, though, the fertilizer and alfalfa, and I wanted to kind of start there because I know we've talked to you before about grid sampling, even in the pasture ground. Yeah. How about in your alfalfa yeah. ground? How do you do that when you've got a multi-year crop? Well, <clears throat> I... Um, of course, I guess I'm kind of lazy now. I don't do it myself anymore, but, uh, there's a service comes out and they'll do like two acre grids or probably do less than that if you want it or four acre grids. I think we're doing four, maybe five. And, uh, uh, then we fertilize it according to that, uh, uh, test. And, uh, I think, I think it works real good. I'm thinking the, the smaller the acre grid is going to be better, and I'm leaning that way more every year. We're going smaller and smaller because uh, it'll detect those areas where you need the fertilizer and the areas where uh, maybe you don't need as much fertilizer. 
Yeah, I think it's really critical when, you, especially in a cattle operation too, when you're looking for for grazing, it, it's a challenge to yeah. find more pasture. So we got to make the most out of what we got. What's your biggest takeaway on that? Have you noticed more grass, faster regrowth? What What's been the best part about it? Well, um, the grass regrowth is better. Um, the the uh, grass quality is better. Um, I guess the weed, the I think there's less weed problem too by having your uh, your uh, grasses and legumes growing better. So I, I'd say our weeds are are having a tough time out there. I I never mind hearing that. I love yeah. I love seeing weeds suffer out in a pasture uh, or oh, anywhere yeah, else for that, that matter. We're talking that, with Doug. that makes me feel good when the weeds can't grow good. I totally agree with you on that one. Uh, we're talking with Doug down in Iowa. Just a little about soil sampling and a little bit about how the crop's doing. Well, Doug, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hopefully the rains keep coming this year and, and we're set off to uh, a good start here with an early planting. And hopefully that yeah. parlays into some more yield. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you guys uh, for uh, giving us a lot of good information. Oh, you bet. Thank you. We really appreciate it, Doug. Uh, let's head over into Kentucky. We've got Matt with us right now. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? Well, we're doing pretty well, too. And, you know, we got an early start up here, so that always makes everybody a, a little happier. How about down in Kentucky? How did the growing season start down there? Uh, yeah, we started early as well. Uh, we uh, had everything. We started planting, I think, April 7th and had everything finished up within about two weeks or so uh we had to go back and do a little bit of replant though we had a real warm dry couple of weeks first two weeks of april there and then uh it turned off cold and wet for a month after that so we uh, got back down into 35 and 40 degree overnight temperatures again so i had to replant some of the beans but uh, they're all up again now everything's up already so uh, pretty pretty good start for the most part. All the corn looks real good. So Sure. We're talking soil sampling on today's show. Uh, how do you do it on your farm? I guess, are you doing every year? Are you doing every third or fourth year? Do you have kind of a rotation set up? Yeah, we're, we're following our crop rotation. So we're doing about half of the farm each year or sampling every two years. Uh, we sample behind the soybean fields uh, ahead of next year's corn. And uh, we're doing a grid sample program, about a two and a half acre per sample uh, grid. And uh, we use I use an app to do all of it. I'm using the Soil Test Pro app, and um, mark my grids with that. Take the samples and uh, drop them off at the lab, which is lucky enough to live right down the road from the lab. And um, get the results back in a couple of days, and then I can use their uh, they got an online platform on the on the internet that you can use to build your variable rate recommendation files, and uh, uses the lab's equations so it it matches up with what the lab's recommendations would be. But makes it easy that it spits it all out in an electronic file for you to load to the spreader truck, or in our case, we just send it to the the uh, retail provider that's doing the spreading for us. Sure. Sure. Yeah, the variable rate maps have been a real nice change in agriculture. Have you seen anything that surprises you as you've been doing the grids that you say, man, there's more variability or there's a certain nutrient that we weren't addressing before that we're getting now? 
Uh, yeah, definitely on the side of the variability. We've, you'll see uh, quite a bit of variability in our fields. We'll have, you'll have a, you know, a spot here and there in the field that it won't even call for any fertilizer at all. And then the next spot over, it's wanting, I don't know, say 400 pounds of the acre or something like that. Um, and, and sometimes you'll notice that that has to do with the pH as well. You know, those areas that have a, a higher requirement will have either a lower or higher pH, which I assume is tying up the nutrient some uh, so we can get the uh, prescriptions for the lime as well to work on that so um, it, it's it's it definitely shows you that just going out there and doing a blanket spread is is not going to be I wouldn't think doing the best job anyway you know it helps you keep up with what you got out there and make sure that your your variability is not getting worse over time I guess yeah, absolutely. I know for us, that's been one of the things too, just for our liming, it's really helped us narrow down where we need to be and improved our return on investment. So I, I really appreciate that point. That was a really good one. Now we're talking to Matt down in Kentucky here about soil sampling. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today and hopefully you get some nice sunshine down there and keep that crop rolling. Okay, thanks. You all too. Talking soil sampling here on today's Ag PhD radio program. Also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. As you've heard already today, we've had kind of a wide range of questions come in on quite a few different crops. So don't feel like, ah, nobody wants to hear about this crop or nobody has this problem we've got in our geography. We would love to hear from you and see what we can do to help. 2021 has been an interesting growing season already. We we're just talking to Matt down in Kentucky. He's already planted beans twice. So don't don't feel bad. There's a lot of replants. And then we had some frost damage that we, we're going to talk about a little more coming up here in just a minute. So we'll get to all those things right after this. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. 
New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question of the day comes from Mike over in Minnesota, and he's an agronomist, and he says he's got a farmer who's got an issue, and he sent me a picture too. Sent Darren and me a picture. Uh, it's an unbelievably weedy field. Imagine the weediest cornfield you've ever seen in your life. That's it. Um, and a lot of the weeds are, it looks to me like four inches tall. Um, and then they had sprayed, and I'll just read this off, ammonium sulfate, atrazine, harness max, so that's a combination of harness plus Callisto, uh, Stratego yield, so that is two different modes of action for fungicide, triazole and strobe, Megagrow, uh, that is plant growth hormones, Power Max, that's Roundup, and then non-ionic surfactant. So he just said, um, why am I seeing more leaf burn than normal? Okay, so first of all, in terms of leaf burn, there's a lot of frost damage out there. And I know Darren's got another question coming up here talking about frost damage. Um, so we'll get more to that in a little bit. But he says he thinks this looks m like more than frost damage. It is. In years where we have really cool early Mays and April, quite frankly, uh, like in our region of the country, and Mike isn't too far away from where we're at, uh, he's over in Minnesota, um, they, we, we just have had such cold weather that the leaf cuticles have not gotten thick. So what happens is, as a defense mechanism for, all, for almost all plants, the warmer and drier the weather is, then a wax will build up on the leaves to prevent moisture loss. That hasn't happened yet because we haven't had any heat. So we've got really thin leaf cuticles. Well, when you have products that have oils in them, so Stratego Yield is kind of hot, especially with the Trizol in there, uh, and Harness Max is hot. The harness has oil in that. Uh, so you got two products with oil. 
you've got ammonium sulfate that would add a little to the burn, and you have non-ionic surfactant that would add a little bit. So now we've got four things that we're a little concerned about. Well, you have all four of those together in one tank plus some other products, and you're going to have more what we would call yellow flash, burning, crop response, whatever you want to say. That's a for sure. Plus, then they had really cold weather, possibly a little bit of frost. So it's all adding on together. And I, I will say with the frost damage, it's absolutely worse where you have more residue. And we talked about that with my skydiving story here a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, there was one picture he sent where a plant looks, it's not dead, but it looks almost dead. It's at like V3 and almost all the leaves are brown. Well, look at where it is. It's right by a whole bunch of residue. So that's just the way that it works. Plus the fact that there were so many weeds out in this field that that also prohibits uh, heat from coming up out of the ground to keep your plants warm. Plus we've been drier. If you had been wetter, you would have had less frost damage and less crop crop injury. Now, as I say injury, this is cosmetic. It's going to grow out of it. It's going to be fine. You might delay maturity just slightly, but from the way it looks to me, it'll be okay. Now, let's talk about the bigger factor. This field was absolutely solid weeds, and this is why we talk all the time about please. Now, you can you can farm however you want to farm. Okay, That's your right here in the United States or in Canada, so you can do just about whatever you want to do. But please, put a pre-emerge herbicide on, especially in fields that are this weedy. There's no possible chance you're going to kill all the weeds in one shot anyway. And if you wait till post-emerge, there's already been 30 bushels lost off this field, I'll promise you, because of the weeds. 30. Well, in a year like this, when we have $5 corn, that's $150 an acre that's lost. It's gone forever. So that would have paid for your pre-emerge herbicide for the next 10 to 15 years. You see where I'm going with this. Please, just put a pre-emerge herbicide on. Even if you want to do it in the fall, you want to do it in March, you want to do it in early April, I don't care. Just put a pre on. It will help you so much. Moving forward, if I was going to use the same combination, will you see the same amount of yellowing? No way. Nope. As things warm up, it's going to look better, number one. But number two, what, what, would, I, what would I have changed? I probably would have left the surfactant out. Knowing you got Harness Max in there and you got Stratego Yield, which has a triazole, you got enough. You got enough oils, surfactants, adjuvants, everything. I would have left the non-ionic surfactant out. Otherwise, there's not really much change that I would say there. I wouldn't have done much different at all. It's just an unfortunate thing with the way the weather went. But again, your yield most likely is not going to be hurt from the herbicide. Now, your yield definitely got dramatically impacted because those weeds, because the spray timing just, in my opinion, was not very good. you got to get those weeds pre, otherwise you lose a whole bunch of yield. All right, uh, I got this one from Kalen in northern South Dakota, and he said, we had a field of corn, it got sprayed on the 26th. Right after that, we had a brutal wind, and it got very cold. We sprayed Harness Extra with Callisto and Dicamba, and the field next to this one is also corn. Doesn't show as much damage as this one, but to be fair, it's also a full leaf stage behind this one. Uh, there was all this was also prevent plant ground, and the field next to it is soybean stubble. So there's a few differences. Yep. So there again, it's more residue means 
uh, more damage from frost, number one. And number two, you've got things with oils in there. You've got dicamba, which is already hot enough on its own. And then you added a group 15, which has a bunch of oils in there. That's going to heat that up. So, and you had the thin leaf cuticle thing that I was just talking about. So lots of challenges there. Again, the good news is most of this is just cosmetic. So there's a lot of light frost. Not a lot of guys, fortunately, are going to have to replant. But yeah, when you see things like that, you go, oh my goodness, it looks terrible. Yep, it does. In years where we have really cool conditions prior to spraying, and I mean like all the way, it's been cool. We had one of the coolest Mays on record. You got to think about, okay, what, what, what can I change if I don't like leaf burn? So in years like this, we have a lot of guys switch away from husky in, uh, in wheat, for example, and go to something else. They switch away from triazole chemistries for fungicides, and they go to something else, at least for a little while, to, to have less burn. They drop the dicamba out of the program, or they drop the group 15 out of the program, or like what I was talking about a little bit earlier, hopefully you've got a group 15 already pre-emerge, and it's down and it's done, so you don't have to spray it post. But when you spray it post... Plus all these other things, plus the thin leaf cuticles, yeah, you're just going to have a whole bunch of yellow flash. Okay, uh, we were talking today on the show about pulling your own soil samples, and there was one thing that we hadn't touched on yet that before we wrap things up today, I just wanted to make sure that we did address pre-side dress nitrate tests. These are incredibly important, and here's why. Your soil has the ability to produce a whole bunch of free nitrogen. When organic matter mineralizes, it releases nitrogen every single year. It's awesome. So if you have lots of organic matter, you're going to have lots of free in. So that's fun. So this is one of the things, if you are serious about, hey, when I retire from farming, I want to leave my ground in better shape for my kids or grandkids or whatever. This is one of the things you do. You build up your soil organic matter. Let's say... and. A lot of people think, oh, I, I can't build soil organic matter, you know, very fast. It takes forever. You actually can. In your farming career, let's call it a 30-year farming career, 35, whatever, you could build your soil organic matter for sure, almost anywhere you are, by 2% or more if you really put your mind to it. Okay? Here's what you'll get. Here's what your kids or grandkids will get out of that. An extra, it, it all depends on where you're at, all right, in terms of how much nitrogen the soil will or the organic matter will release because heat is a big factor, heat and moisture. Where we farm in South Dakota, I usually figure 20 pounds for every 1% of soil organic matter. Every once in a while, though, it's 30 pounds. So think about that. If I was to increase my soil organic matter by 2%, that means I got 40 to 60 more free pounds of nitrogen every year. That's a big deal. Well, with this pre nitrate test, and the reason why it's so important is because we want you to put more nitrogen on to get more yield if you need more nitrogen for more yield. Sometimes, though, we've gone out and tested before we were about to do our side dress application, and we go, whoa, how did we end up with 250 pounds of nitrogen out here? I don't know, but we got it. So let's, let's save the money. You could also look at if you want to test Sulfur and boron right now, you certainly could. Those are two other leachable nutrients. Now, in a dry year, you probably didn't leach out any of your N, S, or B. But if you want more nitrogen, sulfur, or boron, I mean, now's the time coming up here pretty soon is going to be the time to do it. Just test first. Because if you've already got it sitting in the soil, there's no point in wasting the money. 
Oh, and by the way, a pre-cidrus nitrate test is cheap. It's like five bucks. So we would tell you probably go zero to 12 inches, and at least in a few spots, go 12 to 24 inches. You don't have to do many of these across the farm, but at least do a few to get a good idea how you're sitting. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.